You know, in view of uh, today's onslaught of news, uh, I think the usual opening monologue is kind of insufficient. Uh, So instead, I've come up with a selection of alternative responses. Uh, These include flabbergasted stammering, gobsmacked stuttering, wide-eyed tongue hanging out, drooling, followed by fear-induced teeth chattering, and then convulsions causing me to fall over sideways and curl up into the fetal position while sucking my thumb and whimpering. Or I could simply rely on weeping quietly, slowly devolving into hysterical sobbing, followed by whining, followed by the end of the American Republic, followed by the death of Western civilization, followed by our happy-go-lucky theme song. Yeah, I think I'll go with that last one. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Hooray, hurrah, it's an incredibly crappy news day. (laughs) I was thinking of just coming in, just staring wide-eyed, depressed into the camera for 30 minutes. But we can't do that. We've got cardiologist uh, Dr. Michael Akkad was going to discuss the future of healthcare, assuming there is a future, which is probably going too far. And first, you know, in my my copious spare time, what I call my copious spare time, which is actually my other profession, uh, I'm, I'm coming to the end of writing a novel, and so this incredible news onslaught and the fact when you come to the end of writing a novel it is just it's in an incredible amount of mental labor I, I do believe it is the hardest work there is and because the business has changed so much I've been thinking of all these alternative ways of releasing this novel because I'm I, I feel like publishing is a dying business I feel like old-fashioned way of releasing novels that you don't get to the people you want to get to so I've been using this sponsor that we have Skillshare and I've been looking up their various different ways that you know they, what they have what it is is it's basically a website that has all these instructional videos and all kinds of subjects from things that you would use in business to things that you would just do as a hobby and some of them are for writers so I downloaded things that were for writers that were about like marketing new ways of marketing new ways of publishing and all this and it really is good they're very short you know they're they're short each video is kind of short like maybe 10 to 15 minutes but then you're getting like two weeks of video so it's like an instructional uh, class and if you're thinking of uh, changing jobs or just doing what I'm doing kind of innovating in your job or just want to look up a new uh, learn new things learn a new hobby it really is a very cool place to go it's uh, it's basically just this huge online uh, learning community I guess you'd call it and anything from social media marketing which is something I have to learn about uh, logo design street photography and it's unlimited access to all of this for a low monthly price so you never get into that situation like you get in with those apps in-app purchases you never get that so you're not like in the middle of a class and they go yes but if you want to hear the real stuff you got to pay more it is one low monthly price and you get it all there are classes that uh, in adobe how to use adobe illustrator street photography email marketing branding web design public speaking all this sort of stuff and skillshare is giving my listeners a month of unlimited access absolutely free so you can try it out you go to www.skillshare.com slash andrew to redeem your free month www.skillshare.com slash andrew to redeem a month free Good stuff. Wow. What a really yesterday. It was a bad day. And this is a bad day. I have to say politically, you know, it used to be they used to say that the Democrats 
were the evil party and the Republicans were the stupid party. And now it's like the Democrats are like the satanic party and the Republicans are like the brain dead party. It's like everything has become like more and more what it is. There's nothing has changed its nature, but it's just their nature. It's their nature has been pushed to the wildest ex- extreme. So obviously, I'm sure by this time, everybody has heard we, the appointment of Robert Mueller, the former head of the FBI, as a special counsel to investigate all things Russia. And this is the thing I've been saying all this time that they shouldn't do. I still believe they shouldn't do it. I believe it is. Look, nobody knows the future. So one of, one of the things I'm really against is I'm, I'm against despair and I'm against predictions of disaster that lead to despair. But you can say when you think something is a mistake and think and something is going to go wrong, you know, it's not. This has nothing at all to to do with uh, Mueller himself. How do you pronounce this? Mueller or Mueller? Is it the, uh, who knows? It's, we'll, call it, we'll call it Mueller. Uh, you know, nobody, um, nobody has anything bad to say about this guy. He was the FBI head for like a week when 9-11 happened. He had just moved in. And 9-11, a lot of people don't know this, 9-11 transformed the FBI especially, but it transformed all our security services. The FBI was, you know, the J. Edgar Hoover guy who did the federal crime. So if you rob the bank, that's a federal crime. If you kidnap somebody, that's a federal crime. The FBI came after you and suddenly uh, no more. You know, it had to be utterly transformed into the agency that stopped people from killing us in the name of Allah. That is basically what happened. And, and Mueller was the guy who oversaw that. He apparently did a great job. He was not only the director under Bush, uh, George W. Bush, but Obama asked him to stay on and then asked him to stay on an extra two years. So instead of the usual 10-year term, he was in for uh, 12 years. And so it has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the nature of special counsels. I mean, if you remember, Patrick Fitzgerald, same thing. When he was appointed, it was what a wonderful guy he is. You know, we all, all sides, everybody loves him. He was the special counsel who went into the Valerie Plame affair to investigate how Valerie Plame's name was exposed to the press. A completely bogus scandal, in my humble opinion. This was a completely bogus scandal. Valerie Plame's husband wrote a story saying that George W. Bush was wrong about Saddam Hussein trying to get yellow cake. That story was exposed as wrong, and to throw the public off. Remember, because they were doing some of the same stuff to W that they're now doing to Trump to throw the public off the scent. They invented this like baloney uh, scandal about Valerie Plame. Patrick Fitzgerald came in. Everybody said, oh, good man. We all, he has integrity. And then Fitzgerald went nuts and he was investigating everything and it went on and on and on. And in the end, it turned out that the Bush administration had absolutely nothing to do with the exposure of Valerie Plame, and they wound up uh, convicting Scooter Libby for all this crazy, you know, the perjury charges and obstruction of justice and what sounded really to me like just a, a mistake he made. It was it was awful. I mean, uh, Vice President Cheney was furious with Bush that he didn't pardon Scooter Libby. The whole thing was just a disaster. And remember, they were calling it, the Democrats were calling it Fitzmus uh, for Fitzgerald. They were saying Fitzmus is coming when the whole Bush administration is going to be brought down, all the war crimes are going to be exposed and all this stuff. And even though it was disappointing, I can't remember how long it went on, 14 months, something like that. Really long time. Even though the Democrats were disappointed and they didn't get the impeachment and they didn't get the destruction of Bush, they got a lot of distraction. And that 
you know, that doesn't happen because of the guy who's in charge, the special counsel who's in charge. It happens because he's got to staff his investigation, right? He's got to staff his investigation. And who comes in to staff his investigation? All these young guns who are hungry to make their name, ambitious and all this stuff. They want a criminal investigation. The president is the biggest target. You know, my, my instinct, it's only an instinct. Obviously, nobody knows. My instinct is that that Trump himself hasn't done anything particularly wrong, especially in this Russia thing. But he can investigate any thing he wants. And if you think, if you think for a minute, if you think for a minute that this is going to quiet things down for longer than a day, forget about it. I mean, if you heard the statements that the Democrats were making, this is a good first step. Almost every one of them said this is a good first step. You know, we know what the second step is, tar and feathers, and then they carry you out and throw you in the Potomac. You know, that's the second step. You know, so it's like a good first step. They are never, ever, ever going to let this guy go. And, you know, right now, if you listen to them, they don't want want to talk impeachment. They don't want to talk impeachment at all. Why? Because then you have President Pence for three and a half years and he'll do, you know, all this hysteria go away. Here's a guy who's a practice politician. He knows what he's doing. And even conservatives, I've heard them say, you know, they've said it to me, like, well, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if we had, you know, calm down and all the, all the end of the hysteria. But what's bad about it, what's bad about it is letting the deep state and the media and the Democrats win. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But, you know, Donald Trump, who just cannot put a sock in it, you know, I mean, it's like he tweets out today, this is the single greatest witch hunt of a politician in American history. You know, all right, with all of the illegal acts that took place in the Clinton campaign and Obama administration, there was never a special counsel appointed. Now, listen, that's absolutely true. It's not true in uh, in the Clinton, in Clinton, oh, in the Clinton campaign, he's talking about Hillary. Um, but that that is absolutely true. Obama, all those scandals, the IRS scandal, no counsel. Fast and Furious, no counsel, you know. And and James Comey felt the DOJ, the Department of Justice, wasn't even credible enough during Obama's administration for him to bring the Hillary Clinton investigation to them. That's why he made his famous uh, his famous press conference. That's why he gave it, because he thought that they had blown their credibility. No special counsel. I don't know. Obama could have strangled Michelle on the White House lawn. There would not have been a special counsel investigation. Should Trump be tweeting that? Of course not. Of course not. He, you know, I mean, what do you think Mueller feels when he sees that? You know, oh, oh, I'm being accused of a witch hunt. Is that the way, you know, is that the way you make friends with the guy who's investigating you? No, of course not. It's a stupid thing to say, but it is true. And I mean, just the whole standard, the whole double standard is infuriating. It makes your eyes bleed, you know. And, and, and by the way, at this point, at this point, the press and Steve Bannon are as one. Steve Bannon and the press completely agree. Here's what Steve Bannon said at CPAC just a, you know, a few months ago. It's not only not going to get better, it's going to get worse every day in the media. <laughs> and here's why. But by the way, the internal logic makes sense. They're corporatist, globalist media that are adamantly opposed, adamantly opposed to an economic nationalist agenda like Donald Trump has. President Trump really laid this out, as Ryan said, many years ago at CPAC. It's really CPAC that really originally gave him the springboard. It's the first time at Breitbart we started seeing him and saw how people, you know, his speeches resonated with people. And then he would go out to these smaller uh, town halls later and really he got traction with the same message he's bringing today. Here's the only, here's why it's going to get worse. Because he's going to continue to press his agenda. 
and as economic conditions get better, as more jobs get better, they're going to continue to fight. If you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, you are sadly mistaken. Every day, every day it is going to be a fight. Okay, and Dan, so if you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, they're sadly mistaken. Dan, here's Dana Bash on CNN saying essentially the same thing. Right or wrong, what this president has done in his first 100 plus days, even before he came into office, is pick fights with the intelligence community and now the law enforcement community, particularly the way, never mind that he fired James Comey, but the way in which he did it, not giving him the respect of actually telling him in person or at least not having him find out from cable news. And so we know that this is, you know, they talk about the deep state. Well, this, these are communities that, are, that have a lot of loyalty within and know how to get back even if you're the president of the United States. So she's saying the same thing. You know, he, he, messed with the, he messed with the deep state and now the deep state is coming after and we're going to help them every step of the way. You know, it's like democracy dies in darkness. Democracy dies on CNN. We're watching democracy die in real time on TV. And listen, about Trump, because this is the thing I get all the time whenever I talk about the fact that I think the true danger that we're facing right now is this uprising of the deep state, of these intelligence guys who think it is okay for them to call the New York Times, okay for them to call the Washington Post because they do not like the president. And, and a media, a media which says, a news media which says, yeah, that's okay, okay, let's destroy the president. You know, that's great. We don't like him. He's Republican. He's he's kind of nasty. Let's Let's get him. You know, that to me is the is the danger that faces our democracy, our American democracy. That's the big danger. But if you want to talk about Trump, you know, you know that politics is the opposite of wisdom. I'll tell you why politics is the opposite of wisdom. In politics, there's always someone to blame. There's always the assumption that things would go right if people would just do what you think they should do, okay? There's no sense of tragedy, which is where all of wisdom comes from. All of wisdom comes from the fact that there are some things that just don't work out. You know, when Donald Trump was nominated by the Republicans, I, I was genuinely sad. I was genuinely sorry that happened. I wanted Cruz. I'm an easygoing person. I'm not an ideologue. I would have settled for almost anybody else. I mean, you know, maybe not Kasich, but certainly Rubio. Even Bush, who I really had problems with, would have settled for that. I wanted Cruz. Every single one of those guys, I'm absolutely convinced, would have lost. Every single one of them would have lost. Now, and, and all these people saying, you know, that as, as you make more excuses for Trump, you're going to make, uh, you're going to overemphasize the danger that Hillary Clinton, um, that Hillary Clinton actually posed. I call BS. I think it's the other way around. I think they are minimizing. They have forgotten the danger of Obama. They have forgotten how hysterical they were. They were I'm talking about conservatives now. They have forgotten how hysterical they were about Obama and Clinton coming in and sealing his agenda and all this stuff and making it permanent, you know. All of that stuff we dodged because of Donald Trump, who was the only person, you know, who had the the moxie kind of to, dis, to to destroy her, to take her on, to wrong foot the media, to use the media by being a, a basically a reality TV star and all this. And all of that entailed these massive, massive character flaws that he had. So this is what I'm talking about. Tragedy. The very fact that he was the only one who could defeat her included the fact that he had these bullying tactics, these this absolute mastery of the of the media in chaos, you know, of way of creating chaos that the media had to cover. It was as if the people of America, so forgotten, so frustrated, so out of work, so desperate that they're killing themselves with OxyContin, called 
out to the, the culture to produce the, the man they needed and the culture which once would have produced an Andrew Jackson or even an Abe Lincoln. The culture cannot produce anything else but a Donald Trump. And that's on the left, too, because who, who turned our culture into this trash? Who turned it, our culture into this you know pornographic, stupid, ugly, empty traditionalist class? I'm telling you, like the left is like it's like cancer. It is, you know, and I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, Obama was evil. You've never heard me say that. I've said the opposite. Obama is not evil. His philosophy is cancer. You know, Nancy Pelosi is not an evil person. Her philosophy is a cancer. They want to, these guys want, they want to kill babies. They want to kill tradition. They want to kill gender. They want to kill free speech. They want to kill religion. And then the world will all be fair. You know, then it's all going to be great after that. So, you know, you say to me, well, you're fighting with this horribly flawed weapon. And I say to you, I would fight them with a stick. I would fight them with a handful of dirt. If the if the left sinks the ship of freedom into the tar pit of their stupid socialism, the last thing you see as it goes down will be my fist because I don't care. I, you know, you can say Trump is going to end up in disaster. He's all we've got. You know, he is all we've got. And this system that is is this electoral system that people. The, the guy who the people voted in is all we've got, and they are and the hysteria machine won. They did that thing. They did that thing they always do, where they hit us with one story after another, and as each story began to fade, fade, they hit us with another one. The firing of Comey was legal, but oh, it was to stop, you know, it was to stop the uh, Russian investigation. Oh wait, no, no, that's not true. You know, the leak to the Russians, uh, but it's too late because now we're talking about the leak to the Russians of classified in- information. Oh, that was no worse than anything uh, Obama did. Yeah, but. It's too late. Now we're talking about the Comey memos. And speaking of these Comey memos, by the way, these Comey memos that were taken by a guy who says he interviewed Hillary Clinton. He interviewed Hillary Clinton on the email scandal and didn't take any notes. He didn't take any notes. Right. So but he took notes every time he sat and talked to Trump. So that's suggestive, too. But I just want to say that what, during his last testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, the senator from Hawaii, Maisie Hirono, said to her, said to him, if the attorney general or senior officials at the Department of Justice opposes a specific investigation, can they halt that FBI investigation? And Comey said, in theory, yes. And she says, has it happened? And he says, not in my experience, because it would be a big deal to tell the FBI to stop doing something that without an appropriate purpose. I mean, where sometimes they give us opinions that we don't see a case there, or so you ought to stop investing resources in it. But I'm talking about a situation where we were told to stop something for a political reason, that would be a very big deal. It's not happened in my experience. Okay. That's what Comey said. So it's another, you know, it's another nothing. And so you can blame Trump for this. And Trump made so many mistakes and truly, truly, truly take that phone away from him. You know, it's, um, it's blowing him up. But, but still, still, if I, if I had to pick up Trump, if I have to pick up a broken vessel and just hurl it at these people, I would do it. I would still do it. And so, you know, we're staying on Facebook because we want you to get to hear uh, Dr. Michael Akkad and talk about uh, the future of healthcare. But I do have to talk just for a minute about um, about the death of um, sorry, Roger Ailes. Um, so I'm so ticked off at this point. <laughs> the death of Roger Ailes. You know, there's there's so much stuff to say about this, uh, but I, I am not going to be solemn or somber about it. I didn't know the man. I had no experience of him whatsoever. So I'm not going to, you know, there are people like uh, Rush Limbaugh who can talk about him personally. I can't do that. Um, I've been seeing, I don't even want to talk about the left's 
hateful tweets that they're putting out. Um, and, and it wouldn't bother me if it were just you can always find somebody on Twitter to say something hateful. But it really is. It really is people who should know better people from Politico, people from uh, you know, um, Mark Lamont Hill, you know, saying, uh, you know, Roger Ailes has died. Wow. Sending deep and heartfelt condolences to everyone who was abused, harassed, exploited and unjustly fired by him. All this stuff. You know, the, the only thing he means to me is Fox News, that he built this incredible enterprise that was so powerful that the Barack Obama, who was never touched by the press, never asked a hard question, never exposed, never investigated, never uh, wrong-footed by a, a supine media. All he did was spend eight years complaining about Roger, what this thing that Roger Ailes created. That thing now is on the ropes, and this is the other reason it's a bad day. You know, the firing of uh, Bill O'Reilly again may have been his fault, but as I said at the time. As I said at the time, the problem is not the firing of Bill O'Reilly or the firing of Roger Ailes. It is that the will to continue a conservative voice in the media is gone out of the Murdoch family, out of the young versions of the Murdoch family. You know, Rupert Murdoch, this may come as a surprise to him. He can't live forever. When he goes, there is no will to keep this going. And there's no will on the rest of the conservative media to replace this, to compete with it, to compete with the endless, endless stream of comedians hitting Trump, the, the, the stuff that creates the atmosphere that the media has used to gin up this hysteria. There is nothing to compete with them. And that is why, you know, um, that's why Roger Ailes' death is, for me, is symbolic of something that's happening, symbolic of the fact that, that we're losing a, a major, major voice and that we've done nothing to replace it. I don't mean to be depressing. It's kind of a bum day. You know, I don't want to put lipstick on a pig either. You know, it's kind of, kind of a bum day. The reason I'm saying the special counsel is a bum thing is I just think it's going to uh, blow up in Trump's face, but maybe not. Look, maybe, you know, he'll come in and say, um, you know, Mueller come and say, well, there's nothing on Trump. But some of this stuff about Obama spying on Trump, you know, <laughs> would be, so we can dream, can't we? Uh, do we have uh, Dr. Akkad? Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about this because at least we can uh, come up with some ideas as we are conservatives. Uh, Dr. Michael Akkad is a cardiologist and internal medicine specialist in San Francisco. He offers uh, individualized care in a free market setting, and he writes a lot about this free market. He's the author of Moving Mountains, a Socratic Challenge to the Theory and Practice of Popula Population Medicine. And you can find him on Twitter at Michael Akkad, and Michael is spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-A-C-C-A-D. We've been having trouble with our internet, so we're not going to bring him on Skype. Is that basically it? So we'll have him on the phone, and we have a picture of him. So you can look at the picture of him while we talk on the phone. Dr. Akkad, you there? Thank you for having me on, Drew. It's a pleasure. It's uh, nice to talk to you. Um, so... For, let's start with this. What do you think of where the House is going with the repeal of Obamacare? Let's start with that. Is, this, is, is there anything hopeful you see in this, uh, or is it so far kind of not what you, where you want to see us going? Uh, you know, there may be a little bit of, uh, you know, glimmers of uh, little hopes here and there in some aspects of the law. But I'm, I'm so hopeful about the future of health care um, in general, and it has nothing to do with D.C. I really okay. don't pay too much okay. attention to what's happening with uh, <laughs> But, but with you're hopeful DC. about it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful we will eventually have, believe it or not, universal health care. And we will have it when, uh, when the whole government-run health care collapses. <laughs> okay, okay. You I realize how much uh, things are making more, you know, are much more expensive um, 
when they're coming out of D.C. And so there's the beginning of a movement right now um, that is extremely dynamic and very hopeful among doctors and patients who are saying enough is enough and okay we're paying taxes okay we're forced to to pay huge premiums that give us nothing you know in terms of uh, health insurance but for many things we can find very uh, affordable uh, very high quality health care just by circumventing uh, the system by dealing directly with one another uh, doctors and, and surgical centers uh, taking care of patients uh, directly on a cash basis and it's working very well and it's really taken off like wildfire fire in certain areas not not everywhere of course but in certain areas well well wait now you're talking about so you're talking about no insurance companies is that am i getting correct it right? no insurance a cash basis you're talking about going to doctors you know respectable real doctors this is not black market medicine right and you're talking about paying them cash directly absolutely and, absolutely and what is that now, i'm not yeah go ahead I'm not advising for people not to have any insurance at all. I mean, I think right now, if uh, hospital uh, care is so expensive that it's, I think it's, it's uh, advisable for people to have some kind of coverage. It actually doesn't have to be insurance. There's a, a, a growing movement. You may have heard of cost-sharing ministries. These are faith-based uh, cooperatives um, of people who get together and agree to help each other pay, uh, pay medical bills. Uh, and it's it's purely on a voluntary basis, faith-based, and it's working very well uh, for you know large ticket items like a hospitalization. Yes, but I at any rate, that. outside of outside of um, you know, so people ought to have some kind of coverage of that sort. But otherwise, for regular, you know, day-to-day uh, medical care, especially primary care, uh, but also some outpatient surgery, you can have excellent care if you pay cash. When people have high deductibles on their insurance, they're better off paying cash, not using the insurance, hmm. and and having really uh, outstanding care in that way. And that's really a growing movement, and I think it's going to keep growing, because you know as as the system gets worse and worse and, and more and more congested, you know people are recognizing that they're not uh, they're paying a lot of money, they're paying a lot of taxes, they're not getting anything out of it. So may as well write it off as a loss. So and then if you yes go so, ahead. So will this system attract good doctors? I mean, will I be able to find a really top-notch doctor in a system like this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it attracts the the, the doctors uh, not only who are good but who are willing to to do what's right for the patient. Because most doctors who do this are actually doing this at a financial risk. Yeah. It's a lot safer to stay within the system. It's a lot safer to be on a panel, on a network, on an insurance network, or to get money from Medicare and things like that. It's a lot safer. But it puts you, as a doctor, it puts you in a conflict of interest. If you get paid by the insurance, then really all you are is you're acting as a subcontractor for the insurance company. Right, right. Or as a subcontractor for the government. So if you want to do right for the patient, you need to be paid by the patient. That way you're accountable to the patient. So So, so so I think you will get the best doctors in that system. So now... um to bring up the poor, I mean, what always happens is the news guys, you know, bring out somebody who can't afford health care. His kid gets sick. Maybe maybe he's irresponsible, but now we've got a sick child on our hands. How does how does this system serve him? It, it can. It can serve it very well. I mean, I'm talking really about for primary care. It can be very affordable. And there are many uh, people who practice direct primary care in poor rural areas that are able to take care of people with 
very low income, uh, and so forth. I'm not saying it's perfect mm-hmm. because the fact of the matter is we, we we are working in an environment that is where there's a lot of government intervention and regulations that uh, you know inevitably make things a lot more expensive than they ought to be. But nevertheless, there is care available. It's not for everything. Obviously, if you have a, a, a child uh, who is really sick, who needs to be hospitalized, he, he needs to get hospitalized. If, he, if they don't have insurance, uh, eventually the state will pick up the bill, you know, through, through Medi-Cal programs and things right. like that. So, so there is right now a safety net for kids. Um, the people who are hurt the most are, you know, middle-class people who are self-employed or are not getting their benefits from um, from their employers, and they need to buy insurance at a, at a very, very high cost. So, so you, and they're not getting much out of that. You, you, you have written that people, people are obviously always talking about the death spiral of Obamacare, but you have said the whole health system is, is in a death spiral. So what you're basically saying is, no matter what the House does, no matter what the Senate produces, this, this movement that you see coming is going to continue no matter what. Correct. Now, the, 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 the House, the government could help us, could help this movement, by deregulating to some extent, uh, or, or you know, to, to as large an extent as they as they can. I mean, I, I'd be happy if they deregulated totally and got out of it <laughs> altogether. But they they can they can facilitate things. For example, um, right now, if um, if if a person wants to join a direct primary care uh, practice, the direct primary care practice typically work on a membership fee where you you pay. You know, somewhere between fifty to one hundred dollars a month, and you have access to your doctor twenty-four-seven. It's a very personalized service. The doctors will provide you medication at at a discount and lab tests at a, at a steep discount, and do do whatever they can to help the patients. Well, the membership fee cannot come out of the of a health savings account right now by law. Hmm. So there are proposals to make uh, to change that and to make uh, to make it so that people can use their health savings accounts. To pay for these kinds of memberships, so there are laws that can, you know, the laws can change. Uh, state laws could change to make it to 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 uh, to make it uh, easier for new hospitals to to be built. You know, more free market based sure. hospitals. I mean, that is possible. So there are ways in which the the government can help facilitate the growth of this movement. Uh, but the movement will continue to grow no matter what because <laughs> it's so bad within the system that right. people will seek us out. So, you know? so that's my my last question. Uh, how how do people find this if they want this in their in their own life? Is there some way to look for it? There are. I mean, I, there's a website called uh, DPC. DPC stands for Direct Primary Care. DPC Frontier. One word. DPCFrontier.com. It has a lot of information about about this movement. Um, there's another site called uh, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma that's um, a pioneering work by, by an anesthesiologist named Keith Smith in Oklahoma who does surgery on a cash basis at really, really tremendously, tremendous savings, you know, a quarter of the price of what people would pay if they had their surgeries at a hospital. And he has a blog there, and he gives a lot of information. So, uh, you know, uh, people should Google direct care, the direct care movement, and and can find a lot of information. Uh, well, thank you it. very much, uh, Dr. Akkad. Uh, you know, I didn't mention your own uh, blog, alertandoriented.com. You can find uh, Dr. Akkad also at on Twitter, at Michael Akkad, M-I-C-H-E-L-A-C-C-A-D. Thank you very much, doctor. It's nice to have a hopeful note today. My pleasure. I appreciate it.
that that actually took me by surprise. I was I was not prepared <laughs> to say that. He sounded more, more upbeat than anybody else I've heard about healthcare. But actually, that that makes a lot of sense. A couple of things, uh, more things that I just want to cover, a couple of small things I want to cover. Uh, a, a lot of people have been writing to me asking why I haven't covered this Seth Rich killing, the DNC guy who was shot down, and I haven't covered it because uh, it didn't pass the smell test for me. That's as simple as that. I mean, I'm uh, I'm perfectly willing to believe that evil Democrats shot the guy down. He was shot down. Uh, there was a rumor going around that his computer, a, not a rumor, a private detective had said that he was had been in contact with um, uh, WikiLeaks, and so creating the impression that maybe he was killed by uh, Hillary Clinton for leaking stuff to WikiLeaks and all this stuff. And I just didn't buy it. First of all, when private detectives uh, come out in public, I always think, what does the private in private detectives stand for? You know, it always makes me feel like maybe they're uh, doing something self-aggrandizing. A lot of this has now been blown up. Uh, it turns out. Uh, you know, the family denies it. The guy was killed in an area where a lot of robberies had been taking place because it was blocked by a construction. So there was no uh, video uh, video cameras there and all this. So I just didn't want to go there because I just didn't think it was real. And, um, you know, I, people get angry when I say this stuff. I'm not saying I'm not saying there's not a a mystery that will be solved there, but I haven't heard anything yet that makes me want to bring this in. You do want to hear a story. Our pal Robert Spencer, who was on this show, did you hear about this? Remember we had Robert Spencer yeah, on who yeah. talks about, he went to Reykjavik, Iceland to talk about this. And of course it was a big, you know, all all this crazy stuff, the, uh, you know, what a horrible guy he is for saying that Islam is dangerous. And uh, there was all these protests and the press is covering the protests. And he went out for dinner afterwards, but a lot of people showed up for his speech and Iceland is a tiny country. So it was actually a big turnout for him. And then he went to a local restaurant uh, with a friend to celebrate his success. And a guy came up to him a young Icelander called him by name, shook his hand and said he was a big fan and then and talked to him for a little bit. And then another guy came up to him and likewise called him by name and then cursed him out, said, you know, F you and walked away. And he got back to his hotel room and he started to get sick and he realized he'd been poisoned. One of these guys, maybe both of them, had slipped uh, something into his drink, Ritalin mixed with ecstasy. And uh, he was <laughs> sick for a long time. So the open-minded, uh, you know, tolerant people of the, you know, you wonder why. I talk about the uh, the left like this and why what I think of them and this is what I think of them. I mean, I do think that uh, these guys these guys are that bad and when they do stuff like this, they really do it. And that's why I don't go for the conspiracies because if you're constantly chasing after conspiracies, real stuff like Robert Spencer getting poisoned, you know, then you've lost your credibility and you can't talk about it anymore. And the last thing I have to end with this, I feel I feel like this is just a bad news day. And, you know, I can't, I, you know, what can, what can I say? It's a bad news day. I do have to just talk very briefly. I mean, maybe I should wait until next week. I've started, I've started so I'll finish as the old British game show used to go. Miss USA and Jimmy Fallon, okay? This is the stuff that is part of this atmosphere that we have no way of fighting back against, okay? This is what we have not built an infrastructure to fight. Miss USA comes out, uh, what, what's, what's her name again? It's, uh, oh, I can't, I can't remember. What's her name? She's like a, nucle she's like a nuclear scientist. Look yeah, look it up. And uh, she's a nuclear scientist. She's absolutely beautiful. She comes out and she, they are always asking these political questions. And what, it, Kara McCullough? Okay, thanks, Kara McCullough. And uh, she's absolutely lovely and, and obviously very intelligent, probably one of the smartest beauty queens ever. 
And they ask her about whether she's a feminist. And she says, I'm not a feminist. I'm an equalist. You know, I don't believe in feminism because it seems to me anti-male. So that causes a big fuss. And then she came out and they asked her if health care was a right. And this is what she said at the this is number six, what she said at the actual contest. Do you think affordable health care for all U.S. citizens is a right or a privilege and why? I'm definitely going to say it's a privilege. As a government employee, I am granted um, health care. And I see firsthand that for one, to have health care, you need to have jobs. So she said that they just hammer, hammer and hammer. But the left is nothing if not generous. They gave her a chance to recant. Usually you have to do this on your knees with a sign around your neck saying uh, enemy of the revolution. But she was allowed to do it on, uh, on GMA. So here she is recanting. I'd like to just take this moment to truly just clarify, because I am a woman, I'm going to own what I said. I am privileged to have health care, and I do believe that it should be a right. I hope and pray moving forward that health care is a right for all worldwide. And, you know, this is, this is when I think of feminism, I think of bu bullying young women until they do what you want. I mean, that's always been feminism to me. When, I, when people say, are you a feminist? I say, yes, I bully young women until they do what I want. You know, and that's that's fem this is feminism in action. And the other one, of course, is Jimmy Fallon, who is the one guy at late night who, he, you know, he does all the Trump jokes and all this stuff. But he's not actually a political guy. He had Donald Trump on and he kidded around with him and must his hair. And he has been crucified for this. I mean, just crucified. Now he goes back and he says, he says, oh, you know, I'm, if I let anyone down, it hurt my feelings that they didn't like it. I didn't do it to humanize him. He's saying, oh, no, I wouldn't want to humanize a human being. What a terrible thing to, you know, so he has to recant. I, oh, I did it to minimize him. I didn't think it would be a compliment. He, you know, I did this thing that it was just kind of to make him, you know, to bring him down. It was to bring him down. He says he's devastated. This wouldn't be happening if these guys had anywhere else to go, if they didn't have. It's not, as I keep saying, it's not only it's not only the networks, right, that are all owned and operated by corporations and big corporations are all going to be leftist because big government and big corporations go hand in hand. That's a good thing for big corporations. All this stuff about helping the little guy, not so. Remember, 95% of profits during the Obama administration went to the top 1% during the Obama administration, okay? Socialism always divides people into two, the powerful and the rich and the poor. That's always that's the end of socialism always and forever. It is capitalism that has a striated, you know, stairway where you can keep moving up if it's free mar if it's free market capitalism and not crony capitalism. But we do not build this this system for delivering news, for delivering entertainment, for delivering ideas. You know, the other day uh, I was on the the exercise machine, the <laughs> Crowder says, never use that. Makes you sound like you're 100 years old. Don't you call it an exercise. It's an elliptical. I was on the elliptical. Usually I hike, but when I can't get out, I use the elliptical. And I watch something on Netflix. And I have found the two greatest shows for making the time pass, because I hate the elliptical, and it's the most boring thing in the world. Two greatest shows, Law and & Order and Blue Bloods. It's like I, you watch those two shows, the time just flies by. I don't know what it is. They're better, they're better shows. They're shows I like more, that are more involving, but they just don't work on the elliptical. These two shows work on the elliptical. So I'm watching Blue Bloods, and it's an episode about gays and how a gay guy gets, there's a gay bashing in it and all this stuff. And the, uh, Tom Selleck plays the police commissioner, and he makes a comment. He's sorry he made, and he kind of insults the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church comes in and says, you've got to recant, and he says, I can't recant because I'm, I'm tolerant of gays, and Tom Selleck plays a, a devout Catholic, but he feels that they're behind the times with gays. 
all these points of view came out. Um, I don't care whether a person's gay or not. I am tolerant of gays. It's the new world, blah, blah, blah. Nobody, and, and by the way, I'm a liberal on this question. I'm, I am. This is the one question where if you started checking boxes, this is the one question where I would be more liberal than conservative. So it's not that I disagreed with them, but nowhere did the Catholics get to make an argument. Nowhere did the Catholics get to come in and say, look, we don't, we don't hate people. It's not a hate thing. This is, we feel this is a sacrament, blah, 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 blah. Nothing. And there was a Catholic priest, an archbishop in the story, but he was not allowed to make his argument. We don't build the structure to make our arguments, to uh, set out our ideas, to bring calm when the media is selling hysteria. We do not do it. And this, days like this, are the result. We do not play the long game. It's always hysteria. It's always an emergency. It's always the next big thing. You know, it's it's Trump, Trump, Trump. Whatever it is, whatever is the thing that's going on today, we do not build the structure that we need. We got to start or we're going to lose the country. And it's, you know, it's, it's close. It's very, very close. I hate to leave you with that, but I'm sending you in to the Clavenless weekend on a Clavenless end of a Clavenless of a Claven week. You know, what can I say? It's just things don't always go the way you think they ought to go. And that's that's life. Hey, you know, it's in God's hands. It will all all will be well and all manner of things will be well. I'm going to end with a song from the 1950s. I love this song. And I the guy who sings it. Uh, has just been utterly forgotten. Uh, the song's called Goodnight, My Love. Has anybody heard this before? No. Nope. No, see, nobody's heard it. 1956. And it was originally recorded by this guy, Jesse Belvin. You listen to his voice. He has such a good voice. And uh, the, pia the piano on the cut is Barry White, who I don't know if people know anymore, but he, he must have had 100 gold records. I mean, he was one of the biggest funk and soul singers ever, Barry White. So he's the piano on the piece. But it's just a beautiful little song. Good night, my love. We uh, we, we extend this to uh, the nation as it sinks into the eternal, uh, the semi-eternal darkness of the Clavenless weekend. Survivors will gather here on Monday and we will move forward. We have great guests, more to say. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Stay alive. Come back. Good night, my love. Pleasant dreams and sleep tight, my love. May tomorrow be sunny and bright and bring you closer to me. Still of night, please. Have 